Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Anatomy of a Movie. Today we discuss Arrival, the new sci-fi movie with Amy Adams and Jeremy Rimmer. Uh, what a fantastic movie. Can't wait to talk about it, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back, if you're a loyal fan. Um, welcome. If you're a first-time watcher, uh, as always, we're very spoiler-filled, so we assume that you've seen the movie. So if you haven't, stop, go see it. Or if you don't care about spoilers, then welcome. You've been forewarned. Huh. Um, we have Dimitri Panos on the panel today. Hey there, movie fans. And we have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And I'm Phil Svitek. Excited to talk about this movie. Um, as always, we break it down from both story as well as production elements. But first... Overall thoughts, starting with you, Dimitri. You know, to me, this is excellent science fiction. Um, Director Denis Villeneuve and company, I think, have delivered one of the best films of the year. And for me, it got better. Like, it was like a fine wine almost. Like, it got better with, with, with age. Like, coming out of the theater, having dinner, talking about it with a friend. Really liked it. Definitely said it was within my top ten. After mulling a lot over and thinking about the movie, then it easily goes into my top five. Like, it just various elements of this. It's everything great science fiction should and could be. Uh, it was about the human condition. Uh, it holds a mirror to society. I was, I was amazed as, like, how this movie couldn't be more topical. And I'm not sure when it was being written... Like, it's almost like they had this timeline to the future uh, to see how things are. And it should be thought-provoking and all the while remain entertaining. Um, and I think our, this movie, Arrival, hits all of those marks splendidly. So, yeah, I can't say enough good things about this movie. And Marissa? Yeah, I was really excited to see this film only because other people were saying it was so good. And I I thought the whole concept of, uh, okay, another movie, aliens invading, what's the world going to do? Then I, I went into it and it was like completely a different type of approach, which I, I really enjoyed. And at the end of the movie, it made you think, which I always like the thought-provoking kind of movies that really make you think. And then even the music and just the story and the theme under it all. Um, it really, I like, uh, it made me emotional in some ways, and I just kind of connected to it in some um, some aspects. So I was like, I really enjoyed it, and I walked away because I, I felt like I kind of knew her character a little bit, and it made me feel. And I wasn't expecting that mm-hmm. from a sci-fi movie. Well, I, I, enjoy, I, I, I joke that it's Memento meets English class. <laughs> along with science fiction. Um, but, I, you know, I, here's what I, what I appreciate. It started very minuscule. It built, it built. And then when time came, it brought it to um, what you can sort of ultimately call the most human of all emotions, which is love. Um, and, I, and I appreciate that. And, 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 the, and the theme of that, um, the ability, you know, if you could know the future, would you go through it regardless? And it's saying, like, regardless, you know, like, life lived is beautiful enough despite the tragedies, um, you know. And, and I was like, that, that made sense. It, it really yeah. resonated. And even even as 
his uh, Jeremy's line at the end, who plays Ian, could have been so cheesy of like, you know what, it wasn't them, it was you, or whatever it exactly is. Um, I'm paraphrasing. It could have come off so cheesy, and yet just everything about it made it work so well mm-hmm. and so earned. Yeah. Um, so it was a very fantastic movie. Yeah, I you know, and, and it did resonate uh, on a very personal level uh, with me. Um, and I think that's one of the things that just made me think a lot about uh, my past, present, potential future. Um, but it resonated in a, in a in a tragic sort of kind of way. Won't get into like the personal specifics, but that was one of the aspects of it that that uh, I emotionally was drawn into this movie. But um, maybe later on down the line, however, you know, this is a non-linear movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in many ways, it sort of reminded me of uh, you mentioned Memento, which I hadn't thought of. It's a good it's a good cross. Uh, you know, it made me think a little bit Day the Earth Stood Still mm-hmm. uh, and sort of kind of like Interstellar, which I think we had an amazing conversation about that movie as well, which was also very nonlinear in certain aspects of it. Um, and Arrival just just it, 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 it takes tropes of science fiction uh, and and uses such things of nonlinear time travel language barrier uh, solidarity working together human condition frailties of the human emotion and in love in, in this movie and it sort of turns them on its heels to to like this way that i don't think there are clear answers in this movie um i think the ending can be interpreted various ways which we'll talk about later like some of the philosophies about this because to me too it was almost like the terminator terminator 2 where the future isn't written in stone like can the future be changed can you change aspects by doing something differently so all of these things are in this movie and if you have an open mind you can like i just find i couldn't wait to discuss all of this with with you folks, um, because I think it's all there. And that, to me, is what makes great science fiction. Um, Absolutely. Um, let's let's take a quick step back and let's talk about the development of this because it does come from uh, novella. Uh, the story of your life um, is what it was called, and uh, you know they, they they retitled it. It's an interesting story of itself of why they retitled it to Arrival because story of your life sounds like a rom com, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they thought, let's go, let's go with something a little bit more science fictiony, um, but but really based off of that, and um, you know, people fell in love with it. It, it took a while, you know, it was being uh, translated into into a film, but it never really took off. People didn't really understand how it could be translated, what the hell it was going to be. Um, so overall, kind of really in development hell, and um, then Dennis is supposed to kind of take it on, but um, shit, what was the what was the movie that he had at the time? He was doing Prisoner. That's it, I believe. Yeah. He was Prisoner. doing Prisoner, which is you know some years ago, and uh, you know Eric, I can't Heiserer, Hesserer. We'll call him Eric. Okay, we'll call him <laughs> Eric. The 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 became the writer, the, writer, the screenwriter of mm-hmm. this, and. Um, 
Yeah, you know, this is a guy uh, who grew up loving science fiction. Uh, he loved the his... story as well yeah. growing up, and he always wanted to translate it. And then he found uh, Dan Levine and Dan Cohen right. over at 21 Labs, and we found out that Dan Levine also loved the story. So he tried to connect with him in that way and like tried to pitch the story to him. Yeah, and which they, which they were all for doing, and, and uh, it didn't sell. Didn't bite, and 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 it's the most common reason for the passing. It's it's very execution dependent, which I agree with a hundred percent. But then again, it just is further proof that studios hate risk. They, yeah. they, they 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 tremble with fear about risk instead of like okay, let's celebrate. Like this is great. Okay, execution is going to be hard to do. We need to find, like, do the work for crying out loud. Go ahead and find someone. Well, Suicide Squad was all in the execution, too, and that one sucked. But it's it's kind of hard translating nonlinear story into a cohesive, progressive storyline. I think it's it's the language. I I think it's the language. I I agree. That, too. Be diligent, though. You're a freaking studio. You have people. You have people. Do the work. I mean, it 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 finally. This uh, and I don't know if it's Denis Villeneuve or Denis, Den, Denis Villeneuve. I think that finding him, like this this man, this man has made some really good movies. I, I enjoyed Prisoner, S- Sicario. I, I liked a lot of aspects of it, uh, uh, but this to me, I think, is his best work because it is about execution and how do you. How do you get it done? Like you mentioned, Memento, execution—the improper execution of Memento—would have ruined that whole movie. But it's right. very simple. Like you can honestly, like part of it is the fact that they were able to build a language and tell it okay. so well. Uh, that in and of itself, like it's—I it, it, mean, this in a way could almost be like a parallel universe, and it almost be like act as a documentary. Like uh-huh. the fact that they were able to create that, you know, it's. Uh, it's to me no different that you know Lord of the Rings gets a lot of praise for everything else, but the fact that it has its own language in terms of Elvish and everything else, like that's that, that's something that you can celebrate, mm-hmm. and you know that that created out of nothing, and people don't think of language as like a big thing. Well, and I look at Avatar the same way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but this was teaching an audience because you gotta keep them intrigued in one way, shape, or form, and building upon this language. I mean. We're sort of kind of in it together, and I think that's what what builds into the tension of this movie. But it goes so far above and beyond just like the language. Like um, Amy Adams' character, sort of, well, she sort of kind of reminded me. This is like a lieutenant or her. This is her job: communications officer, breaking down, learning language, and and figuring things out, and how to save the war. And this was like, what are they here for? And dealing with the stakes. Of of this, um, so the whole language aspect and barrier, and again, I don't think it's any mistake that their language is in a circle, it's in a loop, like a time loop, because this movie also equates language to time uh, as mm-hmm. well. Um, it's just so much, so many layers of this movie. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, one of the things I did love uh, to, the interpreters. The interpretation of language, um, and more so how how people just project themselves, because you know, 
Um, Independence Day, the second movie, kind of had it where we inter- misinterpreted the first kind of thing that came down as the enemy. That spoiler alert! Not that you're not going to watch it. I promise you, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> but um, you know, and, and that was the thing that ended up being good um, versus what eventually was the bad aliens. And so, uh, in some sort of weird way. We're conditioned like everything that comes down from the sky, it has to be evil. They're out, you know, and just because they don't, we can't communicate. They're, they're not like at no point did these things make any harmful threats. No, right, and no. that's just you know speaks to what humanity is. People you know, always fear the unknown, and like I liked how they play on those self already imposed conditions that we have, and I, I liked also the breakdown of when we see Dr. Louise Banks, like, you can't just ask them a simple question because they're not going to understand. You have to break it down word for word. And we, you know, grew growing up with English, we know the language, but we don't really remember or, like, break down words and meanings mm-hmm. in that way. And I liked how this is, like, this is how we understand it, but this is how they have to understand it. Right. And um, I like that aspect that we didn't really think of. And she set up early, like you know, um, we have to we have to make sure that like she was talking about y- your right, right. The, the singular and the plural, um, and how there's room for misinterpretation, which obviously right. plays to the weapon. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was uh, what do they call it the the gun? And you set, set up the gun in the beginning. The so weapon can, and tool. No, no. The, you you set you set up the gun in the beginning so that way it can be fired in Act Three. Right. Essentially, was yeah. that that's what that was. Yeah, and, and, let, and let's face it, though, like I said, that there are yes, we are conditioned in like. To me, there's a there's a clear dichotomy, and I and I learned this from one of the godfathers of science fiction. To me, there's a clear dichotomy between science fiction. What is science fiction, and what is sci-fi? Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is pure. To me, this is science fiction. Sci-fi, according to Harlan Ellison, he says sci-fi debases science fiction. I'm not as an extremist. Uh, as much as I love listening to him speak and I love his writings, but 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 sci-fi is just a you know a co- Independence Day is to be a perfect example of what sci-fi is. We've got aliens coming down on Earth. There's no more great shakes about human condition or whatever. It's just meant for popcorn entertainment. I love it. Don't get me wrong. Science fiction, though, should always contact is a really good uh, thing of science fiction. The Day the Earth Stood Still is fantastic science fiction. I, we can mention 2001. A, a whole broad base of interstellar we talked about is great science fiction. Going into this movie, it does take from certain tropes. There is a little bit 2001. There's a little bit of, of the day that the Earth stood still. In here that, you know, and then, of course, we have to mention, like, you know, Steven Spielberg did Close Encounters. You know, the arrival of aliens uh, on Earth, they were not uh, here to take over the planet. It was a more benevolent uh, means of being here. E.T. is is a perfect example of where aliens coming down on this planet are not mean and willing to take over. We've been primed since, like, the 50s and the 40s, like, with all those... Movies of alien invasion. I think X Files ruined it for people. <laughs> well, X Files is a paranoia about our, our own paranoia about exactly. aliens and such, but it goes far back in cinematic history, which is fine. I get it. It's it is it is refreshing though in this movie as to how that trope of quote unquote alien invasion. What are they here for? And now we have a language barrier. And we got to work to figure this out because there are itchy trigger fingers 
who are willing to just make this go kablooey, and we don't know what ramifications that could have. Um, you know, and, and that's one of the aspects of Arrival that I found so very fascinating and refreshing, especially since we've come off some crappy sci-fi movies like Independence Day Resurgence and no. such, you know. This is not that. No, not by any means. Um, and just the pacing overall, even though it's it's about two hours, give or take, but overall, even though it plays slow, it still feels very fast. I can say I, I, I applaud them how they did it. Yeah, and you know what? And I liked how the, the, the now we know, um, because this is a spoiler filled, the, <laughs> the future flash, it's not really flashbacks, but flash forwards, um, you know, the, what she sees in the future technically actually did help get the answer for the present day. Right. And I did like how that added to the storyline and how we slowly got answers every once in a while. Because I think the brilliant buildup of the whole nonlinear aspect of this movie is the we see in like a five-minute montage where we think it might have been a flashback, but we actually realize it's the future. We're like, what? Um, but I liked how these little moments like was evenly spread out throughout the movie when it became slow. Um, she would think about or see all these things. Mm-hmm. But it, it broke up the, the slow pacedness of being in the ship and then actually in her real world when she wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and think about, again, when we talk about execution, think about how brilliant uh, Amy Adams' performance is and Denis Villeneuve's direction on this, okay? Because this is set up, as you said, from the very beginning of the movie where we are... It's movie magic. It's a bait and switch. We are it's the magician telling us to look over here saying this is a flashback like we take it as the audience as a flashback okay so that when we see amy adams coming into school she's somewhat despondent she's somewhat very plain uh yeah emotionally not there and she lives a singular life this big house on a lake beautiful view single glass of red wine just overlooking the lake. Nobody seemingly in her life at all, seeming as if she were living a depressed life. You know, un- unable to cope with what we believed to have been a flashback. If those opening scenes don't work... Well, there was a scene, um, and I, th- I think I pulled it from your research, that yeah. that uh, they, there was a scene that gave a little bit too much away because ironically as they say uh, Amy Adams played it too well and so they had to cut it out because um, you know people would have caught on yeah it was uh, it was uh, a scene that uh, took place sort of in the middle of the movie where where uh, it was a flashback of uh, uh, her teenage daughter Hannah uh, uh, saying I hate you Uh, and it was a little bit more on that as to why this argument um, happened, and it had something to do with Hannah wanting to go out with her friends on a night, and her mom didn't let her go, and why don't you just let me live my life? And this led into the I hate you aspect. So it was this argument, and uh, the performance of Amy behind it, it kind of broke the movie a little bit, they say, and uh, so we had to pull it out. We realized, okay, we can't drop this heavy bomb here, right in the middle of the movie, in hour one. It was like, Amy, you're too good. You're too good, Amy. This is not good. Like, this ruins <laughs> Which I find funny. Now, it's interesting. I'd like to see, uh, maybe on Blu-ray, 
will see this as a separate thing. I'd like to see how that whole thing played out. And would it have really given anything away in hour one? Um, I don't well, know. Well, now you'll know. You can't ever know because right. you know. Yeah. Um, what I find so the the fact of the exposition itself, it felt very <laughs> natural because you know these flash forwards, um, they serve a purpose. They tell you, they tell her what needs to be done. Therefore, it, they tell us um, what we need to also know, um, which could have you know that you really run the risk of having it be oh they're just giving us exposition. But they played it in, in, in such a unique way that it does make sense. And I have to, I mean, I want everyone to stop and think for a moment. Like, imagine having to edit this, write this, like the amount of time that gets spent on a movie. You eventually uh-huh. start to lose your mind. And it's one thing to tell just like a story from start to finish and be like, well, is this good? But when you have to, you know, as you said, like play that sort of trickery, uh, you have to be really confident because at that point you've seen it thousands of times and you know, you start to lose perhaps your judgment, but the fact that they pulled it off mm-hmm. says a lot about how confident I, I they were. I agree. And knowing how to really manipulate people. Yeah. In the best of ways. In the mm-hmm. best of ways. You know, because you come out feeling like, I didn't feel like I was sucker punched. Mm. I felt that I was led on this journey. And when I got out of that theater, I felt like really discussing the journey. Because <laughs> I felt as if I were on a journey, I was like, holy crap. God, and it—it's it, hard. Like I can't remember the last time walking out of a movie, and there are just so many things. And but this kept up on for days. Not just had a really great dinner after. It wasn't just there, but it was like going home, mulling this movie over. I mean, I mulled this movie over for days. I don't know about you, folks. Well, think about it this way, right? This. I think I think that you know, there's there's a lot of things in there as we've discussed, and you know, um, but. To me, the the ultimate sentiment is, as she said, like, would you go on this journey if you knew what was coming? I think it just speaks to the simple, you know, the proverb we've all heard, like, just embrace the journey. You know, regardless of outcome, you know, just it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And it's such a simple thing and cliche, but uh, so beautifully told. Yeah, Yeah, another one that comes to mind that I said, it's better to have loved and lost those who have never loved at all is, mm-hmm. is something that could hearken. Um, you know, the other funny thing, though, though, too, is that the author really wasn't too keen on, you know, Ted Chiang didn't really, wasn't too keen on having his book, his short story turned into uh, a movie. He, he he was having a hard time, especially the nonlinear narrative. And, he, and, and, and Eric basically convinced him, he said, let me write you a script on spec. We're going to do it. Basically, that's saying, I'm going to do this for free. I want you to look at this. And he pitched him his take. And Eric says, uh, which felt akin to saying, I'm borrowing your car. I may come back with some aftermarket stuff and a new paint job, but please trust me. (laughs) Which I love that. And then he did. Uh, And then Eric uh, uh, went on to say that he learned... uh, you know, why science fiction is so difficult to get right. And here are some of the many lessons of the script, uh, what the script taught him. Now, if you go into the talkhouse.com, which was where I found a lot of this about Eric, you know, he does go in. What I like about this Eric guy as a writer is that he is willing to learn while he's writing. And he came up with five, like, lessons of, of what it 
what he learned through this process of writing. So if you are a screenwriter, uh, it's on my notes, which I'm more than happy to share, but you should check it out because I think they're, I think they're really solid lessons for a screenwriter to learn about, uh, especially if you're writing science fiction. You know, he's really cool. I, I, you know, you can't... It's a nominatable screenplay to me. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. I think it should be. Yeah. yeah. So, And Denis Villeneuve, too... You talked about pacing. Mm-hmm. He takes a while. I think Sicario might be one of his more quicker-paced movies. Really? That was a uh, very slow-paced movie. See The Prisoners, if you haven't. Watched Prisoners. Uh, really great performances by Hugh Jackman. Uh, and with Jake Gyllenhaal in Prisoners is just amazing in that one. It's horrifying. <laughs> oh, but he's so good as that detective. And this movie, that movie is a very slow burn that just builds and builds. Because uh, when you get to the end, I'm going to... When you get to the end of Prisoners, that was like, whoof. Like, not necessarily happy-go-lucky. <laughs> like, you don't... No. Like, you leave the theater better in Arrival. But he's great at piecing these things together and keeping the attention of an audience. Um, and at the same time, I felt, you know, it's hard to educate an audience... Um, it's like giving them their medicine, in a sense. And and he does it with that spoonful of sugar, which makes it palpable. And you can't make it too heady, because you're going to get lost. But the headiness is, I think, part of what is exciting. When you watched it, Marissa, like, were you... How did you get drawn in? I'm always curious. How did you get drawn in? Were you trying to figure things out? Um, did you... When you walked out of the theater, uh, were you still trying to parse things out in the puzzle or well i related to the 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 importance of connection um with the human to human human to alien especially with the the build-up of what louise's family was like her and her relationship with her daughter and the fact that her daughter wasn't there anymore now thinking that the daughter died but not really um at that point, it was like I realized that, you know, she was sad and she didn't have anyone. And then it, it was more so like connecting to the aliens, like understanding them and how everybody just communicates with each other. The importance of your communication, because that can literally take down nations, which mm-hmm. is really sad. And that's what and I liked the message at the end is like, hey, we have to bring everybody together because that's the only way we can figure this out <laughs> not just one of us but all 12 of us and then like i really like that message because that that encompassed everybody literally in the world yeah. for us for the just the survival of earth and how topical is that today just in the u.s i mean we have to work together and i found that trope to be very refreshing. Uh, well, before we started, too, the other thing I found very interesting in this movie is speaking of the twelve, the twelve powers of the of the world. I found it interesting that in this movie, uh, China seemed to be the superpower of the world. Uh, you know, the, the the leader of China was called the Domino. You know, everybody would when what he did, everybody else fell down, like followed him, and I found that to be very interesting considering. Our current state of social economics and social studies and, and the dominant power that China is, um, I just found that to be very, very fascinating. Uh, and again, great mirror to society. 
Yeah. I, I like the one line. They're like, no, you have to talk to China because they're our biggest ally. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah you should talk to <laughs> yep. them because the world's going to go to hell. Yeah. So, like, I, I did like that that realness of that one simple line. <laughs> I thought, too, you know, um, right off the bat, because the language is going to be visual, right, rather than um, spoken, um, the, the visuals it, in terms of the movie had to work and I'm not talking about the language, but just opening up, right? Even the even the right. flash forwards um, of the tree branches, the water, the rocks, her, right. um, everything you know, everything had to work on a visual level to sort of prime us for what would come. And I thought, you know, I mean, you talk about the script getting nominated. I think you know, cinematography. Very up there, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know. Sure. I, I don't know, you know. I, I'd have to really think about what other movie could be sort of in that category and it could potentially win. But this one should definitely be nominated. Yeah, I mean, Bradford Young was it was the DP cinematographer in this movie, and uh, 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 a dot com found this great interview with him, and the interviewer basically, you know, he's. The, the colors in this movie were muted, and, and the interviewer said, uh, "Almost mundane, not what you're really, not what you normally see in a science fiction movie is mundane color palette." And Bradford Young was actually like, "You know what? I'm really glad you used the word mundane. That's exactly what I was going for." And he goes, "And the approach is really about wrapping our minds around the unexpected, which I think is what this film is about." And um, yeah, he just felt that in our process as filmmakers, we have to try and really be honest in how we tell a story, which in this case is to highlight the capacity and beauty of human emotion. And I enjoyed the way that this movie looked. And the other thing a cinematographer does in a movie that has some special effects is try to make the special effects blend in so that it doesn't really look like a special effect. You know, you know what I'm saying? So... I think that he did. Yeah, I agree with you. I think from from a looks perspective. Oh, and I saw this um, at a at a Cinemark XD, which is like their mm. premium large format. Beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous, mm. gorgeous. Especially the light at the end of the tunnel, the very two thousand and one ish stuff. Like that was just. It was oh, well, it amazing. is so subtle. You know, I mean, the, the camera moved so slow. And yet the background, you know, it's, it's what they call the Hitchcock effect, but he does it in a very fast pace. It, um, um, what does it not say? Um, uh, the vertigo, right? Right. Yeah. right. It's right. the vertigo right. effect. But again, in that movie, it's used to a very fast pace of like, whoa, we're so high up, right? And then looking into the ground, this was done so meticulously slow it, that you're like, holy <laughs> crap, are they moving the camera? Are they not? What the hell's going on? It, it, that was to affect. That's great. It was on purpose. I mean, he even, you know, he goes on to say that he wanted his camera movement to be as subtle and as understated as as possible. And I guess that's another thing that's refreshing about this movie is that we are so prone and used to quick cuts, too, and things not so that when something takes its time, that when we have, there was that amazing effect in the camera moves slowly and they're walking upside down yeah this this change of gravity yeah i like that again beautiful (laughs) like it was just it it, it was amazing um and you're right it as an on like i think because we are so primed to the doctor strangers of the world and i'm not knocking those movies 
But it when didn't something bring takes anything new to the table. Huh. I, I, I was more wowed by the visuals of this, to be honest, than I was with Doctor Strange. Yeah, but I, yeah. again, I'm not using it to. I'm not. I didn't use it to, to knock. I'll use it to that, knock. Okay. I'm just saying, it's refreshing when, and we talk about this when actually there's time to set up. There's time to set up a shot. And and again, it goes with the pacing. This isn't a fast-paced movie, and it lets the audience take in what is. You know, stunningly beautiful on the big screen, folks. It, this it begs to be seen on the big screen because yeah. of the way it's shot. Yeah, and I like the internal look at like how simplistic it was because it didn't make us think. I was like, oh, what is that made of? Oh, it was like all all these things that uh, would beg all these questions that wouldn't need to be answered. It was more so. Um, that I think the the real thing that they tried to convey in this movie was the message and the connection between the humans and the aliens, not what what's the material that they live in or what's the atmosphere like. You know, right. it was more so how do we connect with them and how do we talk to them. And I think that was the bigger thing that they wanted the audience to focus on, rather be and right. not lost in the environment. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't feel lost in that environment at all. No. Um, it was it was something unique, uh, you know. They they shot something that I thought looked new and fresh, in the way that they approached it. I mean, we've all seen that light at the end of the tunnel kind of motif in movies. Uh, this one just made it look fresh, um, and, and I liked walking up to that. And you know, the the interesting thing about that corridor, let's call it, is that uh, it wasn't a green screen. <laughs> It was actually a white, quote-unquote, screen. A white screen, yeah. <laughs> Which was great. They, yeah, um, in interviews, Amy and uh, Jeremy Renner, they, they said that it was pre- they pretty much put a big movie screen in front of them that would like display images yeah. and stuff. But uh, we talked a little bit about like the inside and that corridor that they walked through. Right. Um, actually, the cool thing about inside the ship, the wall texture was created to look like you know sediment rock. Which you can definitely tell it was like bumpy in in that um, aspect, but they said it represents the layers of the history and wisdom of the alien civilization, mm. and like I, I would not have guessed that. No, but now knowing, that's interesting. Well, I, I, here's here's the way I look at it, and I you know I don't know if anyone's else said it, um, but you, you spoke about the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Um, and obviously, like when you whenever light is like knowledge, also, right? And so it's interesting to me that they go down this tunnel towards the light, and what they come to is basically a big whiteboard of education. <laughs> right? And sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. The impo- they, they, they can speak into that, the importance of education yeah. and learning. And they yeah. also said that they wanted the main chamber to remind the audience of a classroom. Right. So you definitely got the knowledge aspect of yeah. it. And, you know, the classroom was just as small as hers right. at the beginning. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, I did feel bad for her. I was like, oh, poor teachers when students don't show up. Well, at that point, it was understandable. It's because the world's going to hell. Yeah, I didn't get it that she was boring. Yeah. Um, You know, one other thing, too, since we're, you know, to talk about from a a DP standpoint, you know, he he shot it digitally. And, um, you know, uh, he used an Alexa XST. Uh, two different kinds of lenses. Uh, he was using some vintage Ultra Primes, uh, some Camtech. Look, I'm not, 
I don't understand a lot of this, but some of you filmmakers uh, might get into this. But what I really enjoyed was Denny had really positive, great results with the work he's done with Roger Deakins, mm-hmm. who this is a guy that mm-hmm. shot Sicario. Yes. Whether you liked or disliked Sicario, that movie looked great. <laughs> right? It was a beautiful looking film. Uh, if you watch Prisoners in its color palette too it's a beautiful looking film then he really has a good command of the lens and working together with his dp but um he says what roger deacon and i've slowly begun to really really respect what we're allowed to do with digital it has so many virtues so this is a guy too who obviously seems to have been brought up on film that says you know working with digital you can do so much and not have to worry about, oh, if I screwed something up, oh, well. <laughs> you know, on digital, you can uh, delete and restart. You can change color as you're moving. And the way that you're able to see dailies, too. It would have been very fascinating to watch them look at their dailies and and see that creative process on this movie. Yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love it. I, I think, you know, I, w- I would love to see more daily. I think if you're an aspiring filmmaker, because sometimes now more and more, it just people don't understand the creative process. In mm-hmm. the sense, like, if you watch this stuff, you'd be like, oh, wait, this is going to eventually look like that? This looks like crap right now. Right. Well, mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, we got to get there. So it's always interesting. It's the process. Yeah, and, and he has another process, um, which is called quilting. Um, which you know, he's he literally uh, uh, he he grew up from the young grew up uh, from the south, and quilts are a big part of storytelling. And he believes as a DP, uh, you slowly begin to be less concerned with precision and more concerned about feeling. And he makes this comparison about digital technology lenses that do it their best. Chips don't do it now. Digital film stock is basically all captured. And, you know, he's honoring what quilt makers do when telling a story of various textures. So I find that interesting when you talk about the texture of that corridor, the texture of the army base, the texture of her house says a lot about Amy Adams' character as well. Modern and simple. Yeah. Very simple. (laughs) Um, And, again, I just, I, I liked his term of quilting and how it's explained because it is a patchwork and putting these textures together to help tell a story. Mm-hmm. Find that fascinating. Absolutely. And, and you know, um, and I know we're jumping around, but one of the things I found also fascinating was the fact that Paramount was kind of hands off. Because they asked them, you know, were they controlling? And, you know, going back to the earlier point that you had mentioned of, okay, people don't get this. So when people typically don't get something, they're very hands-on to make sure that they are able to understand it, that the final product is within their grasp of, of, of comprehension. Um, apparently not the case on this. No. Uh, Denis Villeneuve was even, um, you know, he had total freedom to make this film. And apparently there was a history. Paramount have, has their own, like, history with Denis, with, with the director. And that was they really loved Prisoners. Apparently they were... They may have been up for the running to get Sicario. They lost it. They were very upset about that. So when they saw this short story, of Story of Your Life, they just wrote a big check and said, you can have Final Cut. And he was 
thank you. But still, when you make a movie, it's teamwork. Uh, the film was done in full freedom, but it was nice, he said, that Paramount took it. It's a strange beast for them. But they embraced it. They loved the movie. Let's face it, for Paramount Pictures, they've been very topsy-turvy. There's been lots going on from a studio politics things, and they've lost a lot of things, and they've been trying to get some more short, short footing. Um, for them to do this movie, this is a risk for Paramount. I think this doing this movie was a risk considering where they are today. Um, but I'm very happy that they took that risk because I think it will reflect on them as a studio that maybe now they can form other filmmakers who have similar visions and now this could open up the door and maybe this leads Paramount down a better path and they can get that past behind them and start mining and farming good quality motion pictures. Hopefully. Very true. Hopefully. We won't know until later. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if you know the future, it's, I guess you might. Um, oh, jeez. We, we've been kind of jumping around. Uh, where yeah. to next? Yeah, let's talk about editing. Let's do it. Uh, I, you know, um, editing VFX, because uh, Sicario had a lot of VFX, more VFX shots than you would actually really think. Absolutely. And, um... So there was a lot of VFX. Of course, the the ship itself, the you know the design was um, definitely VFX, and the shape of the ship actually came from Denis himself. He had come across a photograph of a strange exoplanet outside the solar system, which it had, was like an oval kind of planet, and so they sh- played with the shape of the oval, slimmed it a little bit more, and made one side concave and charcoal color. And um, I, I pulled this up for fun, so if you can see the screen. I think it looks like a Frito Scoop picture. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking but, more of a contact lens. Yeah. But sure, um, I can see yeah. me dipping some ranch. We do have contacts lens, I too. think it's an see? almond. And it, see, contacts. <laughs> be an almond. It, it looks like a contacts lens as well. Um, it also looks like a bowl. That could be another thing. <laughs> what about an so. almond? You got an almond up there? No. Ah, you know, but it, like my first when I first saw the poster for and like just the look of the ship I'm like that's a very simple it doesn't seem like technology would be existent in this ship whereas you would think other alien ships there would be but um, I, I liked the simplicity of it and I think it's something we've seen in different forms yeah, it's in a sense too if we're going to be making science fiction comparisons it's it's almost monolithic. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it's just this, you know, it's got this concave, you know, it's got this curve to it. But much like the monolith in, in 2001, which just lands on Earth and is there, I liked how it sort of hovered above the land. I also. 28 the, feet. Yeah. It's was, like that's a very specific amount to hover yeah, above like, the Europe. Is that a prime number? What, what does math have to do with this? It's 28 feet. Um, but I also loved how this is great shot they used when our scientists are coming in the helicopter and they're seeing this for the first time. Yeah. And all the clouds, you know, to see what I'm talking about, it's an amazing shot. It's a great shot. And, and the how it was filmed, and you're just like, whoa, okay. And there are 12 of these Try playing that to the Jurassic Park music. Right. 
That would, you know, when they first arrive on the island, that would be fantastic yeah. parody. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it, and, it, and it gave us, it's not even like a sense of, like, ominous. Like, you don't necessarily feel threatened by this shape. Exactly. It's in Montana. Right. Here's the, the locations themselves. They're in Montana. Right. We're not in New York City. We're not in, you yeah. know. Yeah. So. It had been <laughs> open true. location. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's... Um, but I did love that shot when we oh, first get to the base camp. It's beautiful. so slow and it takes a long time. We see the the reveal of the ship finally, and then we circle around in the same shot to the actual base camp of where everyone is situating. Um, it was beautiful. I was like, for that shot alone, this movie could get nominated for best cinematography. Right. Yeah, it was a beautiful shot, and the simplicity of the ship. Again, you just know that okay, this isn't. Independence Day. I think it's, you know, it goes. I like it because it speaks to the simplicity of nature. Yes. Right. And and you know and that's what uh, Ian's character really represented was. Um, you know, I mean, language to a degree, language is scientific. It's got its own rules and structures, and and he was also trying to find that. Um, and once they started working more together, that's when things really came together, and obviously their relationship simultaneously. Uh, but that that that's why I appreciate it because it wasn't. It wasn't just, you know, based on technology and whatnot. It was just simply it, it, stuff that uh, we didn't understand, but you know, in a way, has always been there. And it makes sense when you're pairing a mathematician. Math is its own language. I don't understand that language. <laughs> That's why I talk about movies. But it's it's. I found it fascinating that you pair a mathematician up with a linguist. You know, like a communications officer. Um, so you, you, you're taking these two people who, one, doesn't necessarily have to understand the Each other's other. profession, so to speak. Uh, and nothing was more clear said when Amy Adams' character said, when she brought up the, uh, what was it, the kangaroo story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a great line, and I bought it for- Hook, line, and sinker, which he goes, okay, kangaroo. These people came over to Australia, they said, kangaroo, and no, what it meant was, what was it? I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, it means I don't understand, and hence, it's called a kangaroo. <laughs> and, and then, everyone goes, wow, that's a fascinating story. She goes, yeah, it wasn't true. It's not Just, real. But it got the point across. <laughs> and I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. I felt like I, I learned seeing things from a different perspective. That and what's interesting, uh, obviously through science and math, you can't really lie through math. No, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like no. math is like it, it, is. it is what it yeah. is. <laughs> uh, through language, you can lie. Absolutely. So there's or a you list. can have different meanings um, that get interpreted differently. Yeah, through language. Um, I, I did enjoy that. That was fun. And uh, one more thing of the the space design, we had uh, Patrice Vermet, who was also the production designer of this. Um, of this film that like I learning in the research after the fact um, that they even had kind of a backstory to the ship which we didn't really get in the film but they said uh, because of the the oval shape of they they said it could be like a whole piece of a rock that travels through the universe for so many thousands of years so you wanted to feel like it could travel um, through like all this time and not it was such a simple shape yeah. Um, yeah, and, and you know it's funny in space, it. you can almost be any shape. 
Because, you know, with no well, it's gravity. It's like a little yeah, asteroid, yeah. 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 Um, but I get it's it. It's a simple shape that could travel through a lot. Yep. It's, 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 it, and again, I guess I can sort of say, I'll bring Star Trek into it, Star Trek Four. Voyage home, you get the, that that big tube, the the black probe that's going through space. Very simple in design. Um, you know, this is the same way. Like, I also found that interesting too. Where's the quote unquote bridge? Where are the engines on this ship? How does it get through space? What is it? You know, like that's none of those the things. Of yeah, it. the mechanics of it. None of those things were apparent on on this ship. But that, Which, yeah, that is intriguing. Yeah, not to cut you off, but like <laughs> that was the thing that I am glad that they didn't focus on because yeah. a lot of other sci-fi movies do, mm-hmm. and because the main focus was like, how do we understand these, right? These aliens, not the, how did they get here, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, we'd be remiss not to talk about the actual language of itself because, much like uh, uh, Doctor Banks creates a language and, and writes a book about it the language was created for this movie and again talk about the execution if it wasn't for that and it did, if it didn't work this movie would fall apart um so they they uh they brought in a specialist let's see i have it in which section uh linguist um no that's uh that's who she plays Shit, where is it? Somewhere. Um, well, somewhere in the notes. Well, while you're looking, the, the language design was actually um, helped, you know, developed by a lot of people. Right. Uh, Patrice Vermette, um, the wife of, like, who's an artist, they were talking about how it would look, and they said maybe have an ink in a liquid form because anything in circular, which they call lolograms. Right. Um, but they said the... the Ink and having it liquid means that it can travel. Um, it, it can also travel, and and the motion and it had a motion like effect to it. Yeah, and, and these heptapods is what they became known as. Uh, they were given that name in the movie, which is great. Again, you're creating a whole new alien that that is. On one hand, it's familiar. They, they sort of look like octopus to us or octopi, right? And they got yeah, these legs, like and they use ink. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, to to talk and, it, and it's a very misty, fluidy kind of uh, way in which uh, you know it it appears Ooh, up on the whiteboard. Let's mm-hmm. call it. And so, it, but yet again, it's it's you're taking the familiar and making it look wow. Okay, you're making it look alien and you're doing it in a way that I haven't seen done uh, on film before. And then when you when you pair it up with sound. The sound of Abbott and Costello, which I thought was very funny, <laughs> calling them Abbott and Costello. Um, well, it humanizes them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, trying to figure out that language, uh, to me, obviously, it's, it's a very important part of this film, but creating that language and giving it that it has its meaning and full circular conversation, um, you know, brilliant on the side of not only the screenwriter, but production design, the director. You have to have a vision. It's like, how how are we going to make this work? Uh, And they did it in in a really fascinating, gripping way. Um, You know, but then again, it's like, you got to crack a code. Time is not on your side. And as an audience, it's like, I I can't make heads or tails of this. Every circle sort of kind of looks the same, you know? It was awesome 
that they sort of kind of took us through the process and it didn't become mundane and or boring no, to watch no. it happen. Not yeah. at all. And, and I love the idea that, um, you know, it was very much like because they're writing all at the same time, it'd be like writing right. a sentence. Like you have to know exactly what you're writing and how much e- space each word takes up because right. you don't get it. Yeah, from yeah. left to right. Um, I like that because, you know, when you're writing, you don't really think about that. And even when you're speaking, you don't really think the beginning and end, per se, um, in a direction, in a conversation, uh, that, that aspect. But, like, I thought it was brilliant because, and just the visual aspect of it and how they, um, this is, I think, where technology was actually used in a good way where they showed, yes, because all these symbols looked so similar, they broke it down point by point. They're like, no, this is different. This is this image looks different from this by a couple degrees, you know. And why were they able to do that? Because they were because of technology. You don't have a mm-hmm. steno- you don't have a stenographer. Well, why? They just took pictures of every single. They t- just took a frame, take a picture. Let's look. Let's let's compare and contrast like of what we have. And from a linguist standpoint too. You could see, like, this is, I think, part of the brilliance of Amy Adams' performance that you could, she was, you could see her, like, thrilled to be trying to crack this code mm-hmm. and working through this. And whenever she found something and sharing it with Jeremy Renner, as an audience, you felt as if you've just, like, oh my God, all right, okay, now the next step. And uh, Amy Adams' performance, uh, I thought, was fantastic as this linguist. She was great. Yeah, she was and, great. Yeah. Sold it. Uh, what, what I applaud her and um, the character of Ian, too, was... Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, think about it this way, right? You know, you're going into this. Yeah, you, you've perhaps sort of done this. But, um, you know, ultimately, you need time to experiment, and so they had the confidence to kind of to, to do that, you know, because imagine like the con- you're working for the military. Let's be honest. Uh, and so the consequence of not getting this, like you can't be like, I just need more time or this and that. Like this is a obviously it's a very result oriented type of situation. Right. Um, and so you better be able to get those results. So you have to you have to really believe in how you're going to do it and what you're doing. Um, and it. Uh, you know, whatever failures there are along the way, you better not tell anybody. Right. And fix them. Yep. Or, you know, adjust. So I found that very fascinating. Yep. And and, yeah. and Louise is able to also convey look through anecdotal, like the kangaroo story. Mm-hmm. See, but look, this is how it's... This is what this means. And, like, I can't just give you a result... Without you know, we have to try to work through this, and actually, that you know, again, when you're talking about plot points, this is where this movie really works as well. Is that it set everything up because there were stakes. Mm. There were stakes. China is about to drop. They're about to attack, and our military. You know, you know, you had that one faction that, that brought the bomb up. Yeah. Too. So I mean, there was lots going on, and you can see those shots where they they showed the the military guys that kept looking at each other like they were planning. You know that they were plotting something. Yeah, and when that thing got up, I was like, Yeah, it's, like, it's a bomb. This can't be good. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I also liked uh, too that the, about this movie. Okay, so uh, we we hear the word uh, palindrome, 
You know, Hannah, the name, is a palindrome. You know, this movie symbolically is a palindrome. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, when you when you think about how it begins and how it ends, it, mm-hmm. it, it loops back. It, it loops itself. Yeah, it, it loops itself, uh, you know, which I find very, very just fun, interesting. Uh, obviously, it was done on purpose. Uh, but, again, part of the brilliance of this screenplay. Absolutely. You know, one of those fun things. Um, let's talk music because uh, very understated, but uh, the music was fantastic. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Especially the the arrival of all the ships. You can hear the music because it's more so like that, just to convey that scary, eerie feeling of what's happening in the world. Right. But also when they first arrive and they first go into the ship and the whole gravity shift. And then that's the, we talked about that slow shot of like revealing of the white wall. Right. And there was like, I kind of equate it to the Hans Zimmer, you know, um, air horn. But it wasn't like that. It was like a whole different sound effect that made me really scared of what we're about to see as we're approaching the unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I really enjoyed it. And and I definitely um, love the the sound, the music throughout um, the flash, flash forwards of Hannah. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, the composer, I, I believe it would be pronounced Johan Johansson, Denis Villeneuve, you used him before, he, was, he, he used him for Sicario, he used him for Prisoners. Again, Prisoners is such a bleak movie, and that music set the tone, you know, it's, it's not a soundtrack that I go running out to buy, that I'm just going to listen to relax. <laughs> you know, in Sicario... His music, again, set a pace and it set the dangers and suspense of it all. And we're like, to your point, with an arrival, it's a different soundtrack again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he works, obviously, he works very well with Denis. Um, uh, and I'm not entirely sure if he's going to use him on Blade Runner, which he's working on right now. Um yeah, I believe he actually is. So I remember <clears throat> him saying that they're already working on Blade Runner. Um, he's been working all summer on Blade Runner. Yeah, and, and again, again, another Blade Runner, great science fiction. Not, Denis Villeneuve is, a, I think, a perfect successor to Ridley Scott to, to make the Blade Runner sequel. Again, they're too visual. Break them down. They're sort of similar. They're two visual directors. They don't rely on fast-pacedness. Alien is not a fast-paced movie. Blade Runner is certainly not a fast-paced movie. Yet, they all build and use their visuals to such great effect. And when you pair it with the music, uh, yeah, I I can't wait to see his vision and taking over those reins from from Ridley Scott. But I think he's the perfect choice because he knows how to tell... He knows how to tell that type of a story. Yeah. Uh, w- one more thing about the, the music for Johan Johansson. He, there was a score called Heptapod B, which he used a lot of singers. And for, uh, for this, he used vocal ensembles and combined both classical and avant-garde elements. And uh, the singers would sing mostly uh, words, but with no vowels. So it wouldn't have inherent meaning. And it come out more as sounds which kind of paired with 
the language when we're mm-hmm. trying to understand what they're saying. It really it had a meaning, but we right. didn't understand it. Um, so he kind of paralleled those two together, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed that. I wouldn't have thought right. that the singing would be like coherent words. It just came out of sound. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talk we talk editing. Joe Walker uh, edited this movie, and he too has worked with uh, Denis before in Sicario, uh, but he also did Twelve Years a Slave. But um, he's working on Blade Runner uh, right now. You know, I just find it, you brought it up a little bit earlier. As an editor, like, the collaborative process has to really come into play. You have to work with your director, your cinematographer. You got to put these pieces, you don't want to reveal to come too soon, too late. Uh, How do you pace this movie? You know, Um, Again, coming up with, we had to cut out that Amy Adams part. You know, we trimmed it down. I, I, and this movie is is a puzzle, wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in an enigma. And you don't want to reveal too, too much. But when do you know? When, what I think is brilliant about the editing is hitting the beats so that we as the audience come to see things take hold, much like the misty ink, which forms, this is the way this movie plays out. And I think Joe Walker did a a fantastic job of piecing this puzzle together. Well, you even said, um, you know, how how great the sound was, right? And so just going back to score, um, there was definitely, you know, very rarely do you get sound effects and the score. Obviously, they have to work together. um, But... The way they describe it, not to this level, like they were working directly with the sound designers, so that way, when mixed, um, the two you could you'd hear both. Um, in particular, I, you know, I, I this I know we keep bringing it up, but the the scene where they're in the helicopter, um, you know, you pretty much just get the propeller, nothing else, right? But underneath, so not like it's almost like to the same volume, you get the music so right. the and and the two work in tandem yeah. because like the 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 propeller is almost part of the score and the uh-huh. score is part of the sound effect in terms of what the propeller is yeah yeah and um there was another moment in the movie where uh there is actually two i can think of um where that that big loud sound effect yeah um that you know we we see throughout the movie that there are alarms that go off every once in a while it's like okay it's time to go back and ship but um, there were some times where that sound effect would go off, and you think it's the, the alarm that everybody's hearing, but it also pairs with the, the theme that's going on right. and playing underneath, and I thought that was a good marriage of the two. Yeah. And then just like the sound effect I think they used really well was um, when uh, when Louise was in her work mode in the office, wherever she was, and then you can... We can't see the her memories or of the of Hannah, but we can hear everything, and then it slowly gets into the memories. So right. you can hear all these sounds off off screen, and then when she's looking, there's that shot. She looks to the left, and then you see the heptapod right there in the room with her. Um, I think that was cool. Just the use of sound by itself without right. the music. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. um, and. Uh, you know, I, I don't know too much, but I know I know it premiered at the Venice Film Festival, mm-hmm. um, which rave review, you know, rave reviews overall. Um, so obviously, it's been in completion for a little bit, but they decided to um, premiere it um, a couple months after on November 11th. Um, 
you know, uh, overall, I'm actually surprised. So the estimated like production budget is 47 million. In terms of promotion, they put a lot into this because uh, it's estimated to full budget coming around 100 million. Yeah, so it's well, 53 million just for promotion. The only reason why I have that in there is that you have to take into account that Paramount paid 20 million to get domis- domestic distribution rights mm-hmm. to this movie. Okay, so Paramount is releasing this. Uh, they're the domestic distributor, and they paid twenty million. So, what I was factoring in on this all is that twenty million, um, because if you're, you know, forty-seven million for the production budget, Paramount paid twenty million for domestic. So that brings it up to sixty-seven. Okay. You gotta figure that Paramount, at the very minimal, put in about thirty million on hard drives and advertising. Um, you know, they opened it up in over twenty three hundred locations across the country. Um, you know, and and they 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 did it in in both regular and premium large format locations. And uh, the marketing, well, I mean, maybe because we're in Los Angeles, I saw a lot of marketing, whether it be a billboard, I saw television ads for it. I always, you know, on average, marketing and such could be between 30 and 40 of, of a film. So that's why I guesstimate that it was around $100 million all in. Mm-hmm. You know, and I did factor in the twenty million that 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 Paramount paid, which is a that's a hefty price tag when you think about it. And again, kudos to Paramount because that's a risk. Paramount's not, I don't think, anyways, that they're in any great position to be taking huge, huge risk, being the state of their turmoil right now. But let's if since we're talking, but sometimes courses, you got to take a risk in order you to have to. Yeah. Like that's what that's what causes change. Like okay, if 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 something's you know, I mean it's one thing if you're if you're a failure and it's just nothing's working, you got to change up something drastically. Yeah. Agreed. And we also know the the power of word of mouth because everyone that we've I mean us being here in Los Angeles, everyone that I know who has seen this movie have been talking well about it. Like mm-hmm. great great reviews on it. Therefore, I wanted to go see it. Right. And now we're talking about it and saying how good it is, so people who are listening to us should go see it. I'm assuming that you have. Uh, but yeah. other, but they're going to talk know, about it's, it. It's the word of mouth also that I think they're also playing into it. But but let me I I got to throw this matzo ball on the table. Okay. When we say, is it is it the cinephile? I mean, the cine- the movie lover, the science fiction lover is going to love this movie, okay? But I found something very, very strange. Okay, so Rotten Tomatoes, it's at a very high 93%, okay? So obviously certified fresh. Um, and But the cinema score on this, the audience reaction on this was a B, okay? So hmm. not a B in my book, not a B... I don't want to speak for you guys, but you guys... Not a B. 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 And I'm sure a lot of other movie lovers, uh, genre science fiction lovers, wouldn't give this a B either, but... Why do they say best of the year? Yeah, right. <laughs> B I mean, for that. <laughs> B for best. So, but middle America, you know, they, they might have been expecting uh, an Independence Day kind of... Uh, kind of a movie which this is not you have to 
you have to let things settle in and, and think things through. So I, I sort of see the well, beauty. I, I do see the beauty. I mean, it was interesting. I, I think it opened up to more theaters than perhaps it should have, um, in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's interesting, just, just even looking at where it was playing, uh, right. you know, I've kind of gotten to know the theaters in the area, and I, I know, okay, I, I've started to kind of pick out the crowds that go in there. Right. Um, and I'm like, oh, it's interesting it's not playing at X, Y, and Z theater. Right. You know, but it is playing here and here. Right. Um, I, th- I thought the exact same thing, too, because I like my select theaters that I go to, and it wasn't playing in one of them. I was like, oh, I have to go to this theater because mm-hmm. that's the only one that's playing it in the area. So I think that's interesting why, though. Yeah, it's interesting. And, like, from a gross standpoint, so uh, up to Thursday, up to yesterday, um, currently uh, domestic, it's at $31 million, $31.5 million. Uh, foreign, uh, it's done ten million, so we've got a complete worldwide gross of forty-two plus million dollars. Um, it opened up uh, number three. Um, it opened up. It did twenty-four million dollars. Uh, came in at number three. It exceeded arrival. Exceeded expectations. And again, I, I just think tracking is a broken. I think I think tracking is is a, is a broken tool that nobody seems to really want to fix or know how to fix it. But they're off by about ten million bucks. If you're off at ten million bucks in in a corporation, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of money to be off on, and your job is to prognosticate this. Now, obviously, Paramount is on is on the winning end of that. So uh, it comes in at number three. Personally, I do think that as we go in, like, this is an intellectual movie. This is um, an adult, like, a good adult movie. Um, remember I was talking about what, what, what silly movie with silly plot points. And I, and I made the point of the reason, oh, Inferno. Yeah, the reason why adults aren't going to movies like Inferno, whether even though it's an adult-driven movie, is because it's stupid. It's, it's a bad movie. But adults can go to this movie, you're going to see great performances, amazing direction, and you're going to see a story that when you go out after, you'll be able to really discuss, which is part of the fun of going to the movies. It's part of what going to the That's what we're doing. That's why we're here. <laughs> That's why so, you're listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I think that in the long run, Yes, it's going to have some heavy competition, some more mainstream movies, but I think it's going to stay the course. I think it'll get recognition uh, that'll help fuel the fire. And, and again, kudos to Paramount. You're right. They needed to take this risk in this yeah, movie. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it'll, it's going to pay off uh, for, for them, which, yeah. which is a good thing. They need it. They need this shot in the arm. Uh, they have one other movie coming out that looks very... That could be very promising, too. That movie, Allied. Uh, yeah. The Robert Zemeckis movie with Brad Pitt. Um, that movie looks like it could be... You know, that it could have something in it as well. So, yeah. no. And neither is a franchise. Nope. Yeah, yeah what's I'm the sequel of this movie? <laughs> Arrived. <Yeah>. Arrived. <laughs> Going. <Departing>. We're here. <laughs> departure. Um, There's arrival and departure. So... We haven't really talked about performance outside of Amy Adams. Oh, yeah, let's, let's. I do want to talk. Why don't we start with Forrest Whitaker? Because obviously, we'll, we'll get the. We've 
touched on Jeremy Renner at least a little bit, and we'll talk. We can talk more about him. But Forrest Whitaker, we should talk about sure. as the Colonel. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he did. I thought he did good. Yeah. I, I like. I really like Forrest Whitaker. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, think- I mean, he's obviously an Academy Award winner. He's amazing. Um, I I thought he was kind of underutilized a little bit. But I'm just trying to think, like, what more his character could have done in that situation. Um, I like I like the fact that he was kind of the foil to our protagonist. And, yeah, he had to. He was just stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, reporting to pay people who were, were higher than him. Right. So, like, he, he's just that middleman that you kind of hate. But, like, you love Forrest Whitaker. So I was like, I don't really hate you. I just know you're doing your job. But he helped her when he could. Yeah, yeah exactly. I didn't find the... The character could have gone, he could have been hardcore military, and he could have been really, like, the yeah. character could have been very dislikable. He challenged Louise. I Well, I believe he challenged Louise, yes. Uh, at the same time, being military, he had his job to do, but I also find him to be, I found that character, in the way that he was portrayed by Forrest Whitaker, to be understanding. Okay. He, he... Everything was laid out. He had all the information in front of him. And he took that information as a leader, a good, like he was the head of that team. Okay, I understand. You still gotta, you still gotta pump up your timeline. I, I see what you're saying, but I'm, we're, we're in a situation, like he could have been a, he could have been one of those stereotypical military guys who was in. Get con- me results! Get me results yeah. now. I'm glad it wasn't. Exactly. And yeah. he wasn't. Well, because he opens... I mean, it, it, one of his first lines is, uh, <laughs> you, you know, he comes in there and she's watching the news. Ah, we've been at this for two days and they're already expecting miracles or whatever. It's like, so you understand the, the perspective that he's coming from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he knows, like, the pressure's on. And, uh, and But, yeah, that this is this is going to take some time. This is... No one's ever dealt with this. Yeah. No, I... I it was good. And there is something about... Forrest Whitaker's presence on screen. He can be very sympathetic, Mm -hmm. um, humanistic. By the same Um, time, he's like, you're working with this guy. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, I liked... um, I like Jeremy Renner in this movie as well. Michael Stolbarg, who... He was in Jobs, was he not? I I didn't... My agent Halpern. He, he, to me, was the quote-unquote villain. Mm-hmm. He was the, like, the distrusting, uh, you know, he was like the James Woods character in Contact. And he was like, no, we, we got to, you know, China's doing this. You know the guy I'm talking about, you know. The guy like, at the end with the phone. Yes. Yeah. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my... It's right. coming from your phone, sir. <laughs> um, I like that. Too. Yeah. Um, I... And he's getting a lot of work, too, because he was in Doctor Strange. He was uh, Rachel McAdams. He's the other doctor. He's the other neurosurgeon. Mm. He's yeah. a douchebag in both. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he's pretty good know, at that. Uh, Jeremy Renner, you know, I just he, I th- he's such a, he's a good actor. Yeah, I think he was really good because watching this film, we know him from like the Marvel movies and Hawkeye and like all these other roles but like i didn't see him as any of those characters i got mm-hmm. i totally forgot that he was hawkeye i totally forgot he was all these x y and z characters and i think he did a really good job and i like the fact that 
his character Ian didn't clash with Dr. Louise because at the beginning of their first meeting on the helicopter, you can tell he doesn't understand her in his practice. I was like, okay, there's going to already be conflict between those two. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad there really wasn't mm-hmm. because I'm, and I'm glad that they were constantly always working with each other. We didn't see them like question each other in every possible answer. It was like, we're not getting answers because we're just fighting with ourselves. So like, I'm glad that they actually worked cohesively together. Yeah. Jeremy Renner, let's let's look a little bit at his at his career, but we'll we'll start off with the Avengers because that that's his biggest thing is Hawkeye. When you look at the Avengers, and and I again, I'm, I'm one of the few that that actually enjoyed Age of Ultron, but part of part of what I enjoyed about it was Jeremy Renner's character. His amongst that crew of characters and superheroes is the most human. Obviously, he's given a family. He has a family. Um, he has a casualness and an understatement of acting, uh, you know, in a superhero movie. Like, he's not the smart guy. He's not, he's not like, zinging one-liners left and right. He's, he's really good, and you believe him in the action, which is great. You've got to have a, 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 an actor we, that you believe can carry off that action. But then look at something like Hurt Locker, okay? The one that put him on the map. Really solid performance that talks about this guy's PTSD in a sense where he needs that thrill to go back to 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 to, to um uh, uh clean out bombs okay to deactivate bombs but then he's an American hustle is mayor uh Polito okay he's the guy that they're duping uh you know he's the guy that they're duping uh mm-hmm. the money and he was so good in American Hustle, and again, completely different from the Avengers. So that, you know, he was in a Born Legacy movie. He's in the MI6. Again, really good. You buy him doing the action so that when we see him in a movie as a rival, he's very understated, but I believe him as a mathematician. And yet, I... He's a have, theoretic. The, theoretic. He's almost like a... Mal- in a sense, he's the Ian Malcolm. I would in love a movie Park. with all like math <laughs> characters from every movie. Yeah, mm. <laughs> you know, so it would be fun. He's, my question to you was: yeah. uh, um, during the the whole big reveal that she can see the future, did you put together that those two were actually going to end up together? I put together at a certain point. But it was were, so close to the point that it was going to happen that even if you did, it didn't matter. I, I think the one moment where I figured it out was when uh, she there there was the whole um, moment where the daughter was asking for a certain word. The oh the that, zero sum. That, well, yeah, yeah that's zero what, sum. And then she's like, "If you need a scientific question, ask your father." I was like, "He's a scientist." Yes, that's where I picked it up. Yeah, and we never saw. Jeremy Renner's character. We never saw Ian in in those scenes, which I found very interesting. And that's where I was like, okay, something's... What happened? That's when things started, like, the the pieces of the puzzle started to fall into place. Um, But I really, again, Jeremy Renner's performance, I thought, was really uh, good. And we already talked about Amy Adams, I think, in this movie. Um, Nominatable. But since you did bring up uh, this, we have to to talk a little bit about the timey-wimey substance uh about this movie because it's such an integral part so in a nutshell uh and and add to it once you're 
to understand the language, you're given this thing of seeing your life sentence. Uh-huh. It's 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 one of the it's a side effect of learning this language or being given the able ability to see the, the future. All right. So what we see is this it poses this great science fiction question. Since we learn that they're not flashbacks but in a sense a flash forward or here's my question my question is is this a possible future? Or is this a future that's set in stone? Okay. And to me, it's a great science fiction question because I'm of the the future is fluid. Things can change. Um, and does she... Does she... We already see that she's changed the future because she makes that phone call to the head of China... Okay, because she saw a future, so she used that information to change the future so that they did not attack. And he thanked her for Mm -hmm. that phone call. Okay, does she go on the path? Like, I know that her future says that she does. That that you know they have the child. Uh, Child gets sick, but now she knows. Is this a future that was set in stone? Does she still have free will? Can she change her future? Now knowing, because we've already saved the world, and we know that in 3,000 years, the aliens, we're going to save the aliens. Okay? So that's been done. But now we're talking singularly about our characters. This, to me, is like the thing that like I just scratch my head on. (laughs) What are your thoughts? I, I said it. I think, I think yes, it's 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 predetermined based on this movie, and but as she says, like that's beside the point. It's um it's more about just enjoying the beauty, and you know I think I think I think part of the message, right? Um, just just strip it down. Um, we get so bogged down in not living in the moment, worried about the future, right? That we miss the moment, and so for the first, you know, I think. For her, the gift is because she can see both the future and the, and the past and everything, you know, I think she can stop worrying about the future and actually enjoy the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, I think that's the lesson. Just enjoy the moment. Right. Yeah. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. And also there was that one moment where you think she might kiss him. But I'm glad she did it because right. that leaves it open-ended to what you, you as the audience member, think is going to happen to her character. Um, but well, like, he she says c- the most corny line ever. So come on. But but they didn't take they didn't take the cheap route of just the the two main protagonists who are always together in the movie sure. end up of course together. Right. And um, but like I I like the kind of ambiguous ending with her like maybe she did change her future or maybe she does go down the path even though she knows what's going to happen. What if Ian changes his mind? Again, this is what I love about science fiction uh, is that there are again you keep an open mind that yes, we can we can take the route that yes, she decides to continue on to have the child, you know. Because we see in that future, in that life sentence, she, you know, he says, I want to make a baby. And she makes, knowing what she knows, she makes a decision to make the baby. 
But at some point, she could make the decision not to. Or maybe when she tells Ian, Ian could be more forgiving uh, uh, and such. It's like this whole, again, it, 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 you can pull the hair out of your head talking about it. But I think that's one of the beautiful well, things okay, about so, this so, movie. So he, okay, so, and you just, and it might be obvious, but define why you you think he left. Why um, Ian left her? Mm-hmm. I think in part, uh, the way, that, at least from what I gathered in this movie, he left her because she wasn't truthful. Maybe that he couldn't. If he if she knew this back then, why didn't she say something? Why did About they go the child. ahead and have it? Why did they go ahead? There you go. Oh, that's, have, I, I think that's the, the reason too. Yeah. Mm. I, I was thinking maybe like just statistically, couples don't stay together after the, a death of a child. There a, a lot of times that happens. Like um, if if there is a death of a child, a lot of times the relationship falls apart. Well, the dad left before yeah. that. He, he before. left before. But you know, like, where's your stat even, on, on on husbands who no, leave? No, 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 but like even when during, your wife knows the future. But like even during. Like, well, let me look at couples separate during yeah. you know times yeah. of duress like this. Um, so that could be another reason too. You know, so it's 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 interesting. I, you know, I had found this, um, I believe on uh, on Cinema Blend that they have a whole they have a whole um, they have a whole breakdown of what what potentially it could be. But but it's things that I was thinking of because I got a you know friend I saw this movie with said, oh, absolutely, she 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 goes on. I said, well, how can you say that with any absolute certainty? You know, she knows now the crisis has been averted. They, they, they know how to communicate. The future can be changed if you have free will. They can decide to have a child. They can decide to adopt. They could, she could tell Ian. Ian could, be, could forgive her for not saying. There are variables or many strings uh, that... They well, could have gone. I mean, I, I'm not saying that she decided to do it anyways, to, to take that journey. Different tangents. I, I get it, and, and I buy it. But I also have to be open to the fact, you know, maybe she, you know, they, they get married, maybe they go another route as far as having a child. Because we don't know, maybe maybe the, a cure, like... Well, here's what I, I, I think... I think at least in her mind, regardless of what actually ends up happening, um, and I think that this is uh, the Matrix, I think, taught us this <laughs> really well. Um, free, true freedom is the ability to commit to a singular uh, commitment, to, to a singular action, and just believe in it wholeheartedly and eliminate all other possibilities. There you go. Yeah. And that's all I'll say about that. Well, I, you know, and again, from a personal standpoint, it opened up a lot of, a lot of thought. It's a thought-provoking to, movie. To, to do, do it all over again, do certain things a certain way, do things differently. Yeah, there's been a lot. In the end, uh, I would. Um, if just for the plain reason that... I like to believe that my influence had some impact in, in lengthening uh, a longevity for someone and helping. Um, 
But in this movie, you just don't know. Uh, that loss is very deep, for, you know, for, for, for a mother. And I completely understood that. Um, I just think one of the great things about science fiction, and it was a fun thing to talk about Interstellar as well, which also tells about things about love. Do we go after this guy to save him? This was a conundrum brought up in Interstellar. You know, or are we just basing it on emotion? Or do we go to this other planet? What do we do? Uh, this movie offers that up too. And I don't think it's clear cut. We can believe, and I, and I buy it, that, that Louise would choose to do it again. You know, what I loved about it is the fate of the Earth didn't hinge on what her decision would be. Because the fate of the Earth was solved. That problem was solved. Okay. I just love the emotion of it all. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the fate of the Earth at that point does not hinge on what her decision was going to be. And I think that's what makes the very many layers of Arrival uh, just a splendid movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Any last thoughts? I'll start with you, Marissa. Um, I really enjoyed this film because it uh, it left me with questions. You know, we're talking about them now, but like it left me with a uh, an, an interesting feeling that like I like movies that make me feel in different ways than I didn't think so. Um, I would definitely buy this movie. Yeah, I think there's a certain rewatchability factor because you watch it again and you still think of other questions that might pop up that weren't you know answered in our conversation um but like i liked it there was a human aspect to this film that could have been completely lost in science fiction and it wasn't Mm -hmm. um but i I like the overall message of it well like i said good science fiction the human condition should never be lost uh in that film and and again uh, uh, you know uh harlan ellison uh this is where i had learned that 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 dichotomy i don't take as i said on top i don't take as harsh a stance on him i think that science fiction and sci-fi can exist in pop culture um but you should be cognizant of the fact arrival to me is not a sci-fi movie uh it is very science fiction um whereas independence day is completely sci-fi um that's garbage (laughs) why do we keep bringing not resurgence not resurgence I'm talking about the. I like the original Independence Day. The original, Day. Yes. The, 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 the original Independence Day is a fun popcorn movie. Huh. You know, I'm so. glad this wasn't like explosion upon explosion kind How of. How refreshing! Movie. Again, that's another thing I love about this movie, especially. I'm not knocking it, but coming off of things like Doctor Strange, and we saw some very mediocre movies. You know, and this movie is a breath of fresh air. It wasn't overwhelming. Yeah, and, and much like to me watching Ouija, the sequel, The Origin of Evil, was refreshing to see because of what it did to horror tropes. I found that this movie is just a, it, it's, it was just very, it was great to see. Yeah. You know. So there you have it. Um, by the way, I definitely check out Lights Out as well. Um, written by Eric Hussier. Eric. Um, who wrote this one so um, you know I thought that was a fantastic yeah. movie as well mm-hmm. um, alright so that about does it for us we've got uh, we've got a lot of movies coming up especially as things ramp up uh, uh, Fantastic Beasts and where to find them well you can find our anatomy here for that uh, we've got uh, Bleed for this we've got Edge of Seventeen and then down the line um, 
uh, Allied. That's going to be a great movie. Uh, another one by Nocturnal Paramount. Nocturnal Animals. La La Land. La La Land. Collateral Beauty looks amazing. There mm-hmm. you go. Yeah. The new Beauty and the Beast trailer just came out, so yes. we'll be doing that in 2017. So definitely a lot to look forward to. A lot to look forward to. Yeah. But just like this movie, there's also things in the past you can go back to. Um, so Sicario. Def- Sicario, yes. Interstellar. Absolutely. Um, a lot of great stuff to definitely check out. So um, if you've seen the movie... Check out our anatomy show. We're not asking you to watch every single show. Just the ones that you enjoy. And thanks for sticking in there, too. I really... Guys, we we really are on... We we discuss movies. That's what I love about this show. We talk about movies as movie fans. Um, So we're we're really glad. We know we are not a 140-character movie show. You know, we are sure. a hundred an hour, <laughs> a hundred and forty hours, minutes, yeah. whatever. So, uh, thank you all for sticking in, and thank you all for being part of the discussion. That's all. right, and let us know, uh, especially with a movie like this. Um, I, I don't, you know, this could be. I don't think we've had a movie of this caliber since um, uh, uh, Under the Skin. That movie, well, the discussion that that has caused still to this day is in hot debate um, on the internet so uh, you know I'm looking forward to the comments on this one you had to bring that movie up listen (laughs) no I know that that movie anyway thank you guys we'll see you next time on another anatomy movie Uh, at dmovie1701 at Serafini TV at the popcorn talk bye From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.